Good afternoon, boys and girls, and welcome to Grease the Wheels, your weekly technician podcast, coming to you straight from the rock and roll garage. Sitting behind the mic today is your Uncle Jimmy, bringing you the stuff you either want or like to know about what's going on in the automotive technician world. Hey, today's podcast is kind of ridiculous. It's about me. And normally I don't like to make the podcast about me, but in this particular case, I have to warn you about me. Folks, let's just call it right straight out. I'm wrong a lot. I'm wrong. I'm, I'm wrong so often that it's amazing that I ever get anything right. Um, I wanted to warn you about that because some of the shit that I say on this podcast is just straight up fucking wrong. And I, you need to know that. You need to know that. First thing is, is this podcast is strictly my opinion in most cases. It's not backed up by fact. Nobody's out there fact checking this podcast. If they are, they're just, they give up after about 10 minutes and go, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. This guy's wrong a lot. As a matter of fact, my entire existence is wrong. I was wrong. It it was wrong for me to even be conceived, I was told, because I'm an accident. So... Let me just put that out there so you can get an idea for how long I've been wrong all of my fucking life and even the nine months before I started being wrong on the outside. Uh, one of the things uh, that I want to tell you about being wrong, and this is a personal thing, is that I don't mind being told I'm wrong, okay? Uh, I'm wrong a lot. Um, I'm okay with being wrong. Uh, sometimes wrong feels good just because you do it and you just live with it. I've been wrong about a lot of things, but I try not to be wrong on this podcast, even though it's my opinion and I'm allowed to be wrong according to the Constitution of the United States. Uh, I wanted to kind of put it out there that uh, some of the stuff I've said and some of the stuff I believe is not correct. I'll say it a different way, okay? It makes it sound less, less brutal. To start with, one of the things that I was wrong about is technician salaries. Now, when I talk about technician salaries, I like to make the claim that the, the summit, the peak of all salaries for technicians is 100K a year. It's a real good milestone for us to look up to, most of us. Um, I don't think that there's a lot of technicians out there that make that much money. And I've been told that I'm actually wrong about that. And I believe I am actually wrong about that because uh, I know that in the state of California, there's an extraordinary amount of technicians who actually do make six digits a year. Uh, and they should because the cost of living in that state is, is ridiculous, okay? So anything that goes on in the state of California is really not how it is in the other 49 states. And uh, because they have an extraordinary amount of taxes and they're nearly a communist system and because the cost of living is so high and everything Really, literally everything in California is just ridiculously expensive. A lot of, and and also too, because of the uh, extreme and dire shortage of technicians, uh, technician salaries are as a normal uh, $100,000 a year uh, for trained, experienced, and uh, well-versed technicians. Obviously, some technicians don't make that much, but you're going to have that everywhere. Some technicians aren't very good at it. And some of them aren't good at it just yet. Let's leave them room for uh, improvement, okay? Uh, but when it comes to the other 49 states in the country, and as far as that goes, around the world, I don't think you're going to find a lot of technicians that make $100,000 a year as a normal. So it got pointed out to me that uh, there are people who do make $100,000 as technicians when I said that there was nobody. 
Okay, there's not nobody. There are people who make that. So I was wrong about that. But let me just put it this way. When you talk about a technician making $100,000 a year anywhere, and I'm talking about the entire world, okay, because you have the equivalency of $100,000 a year in whatever country you're in and whatever currency you you use. And I believe it's it's totally an accounting thing. I believe it, the that uh, people who go to school to become a CPA to be a certified public accountant, to be somebody who manages the money and the finances for a shop or a dealership, all has the same mindset. There really no mechanics worth that much. Uh, the accountant's worth that much, but not the mechanic. And vice versa, we don't think accountants are worth the flying fuck. And uh, I'm gonna stand by that and say that that is not wrong, okay? Uh, you might be an accountant and a mechanic, or you might be an accountant who's listening to this for some stupid reason, or maybe your member of your family's an accountant and they do a good job and everything's fine. That's fine, okay? But as far as I'm concerned, I'm not wrong about that. What I would like to say that is uh, I'm not completely wrong about technician salaries. I think that there are a lot of technicians out there who make six digits a year, make $100,000, who work very hard, uh, probably working flat rate, have a lot of work in their shop, a lot of work in their shop. They're supremely skilled, supremely experienced, and work in a system that helps them earn that much money, which is probably how it should be. And so they make $100,000 a year. Now, I think myself personally, this is an anomaly, okay? Yes, throughout the industry, in the rest of the 49 states, and the rest of the world even for that matter, you are going to find technicians who make that much money. You are, they're out there. But I believe it's not very common. I believe it's an anomaly because of accountants, okay? Now I could be wrong about this, but I would double dog dare anybody to prove me wrong about this. I think that when an accountant looks at uh, the profit and loss statement and the finances of a shop or dealership and sees that a technician makes $100,000, they do two things. The first thing they do is they throw up blood right there on the desk. And the second thing they do is go, why are you paying this guy so fucking much? Why would you pay a technician $100,000 a year? Why would you do that? You can get any monkey to do that job. Well, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that you can't get any monkey to do that job, not the way that guy does it. If he's making $100,000 a year, believe me, nobody out there is making that much money and is not earning it. Even in California, you have to earn it. You have to do the work. Otherwise, you get fired. You make... Because if you make that much money, if your employer, if your shop or your dealership is doling out a six-digit income to you per year and you ain't worth a fuck, you can bet that the next year you ain't going to be making that much money and you aren't probably going to be working in that shop. So I don't believe I'm really wrong about that. I think that there's guys out there who are definitely worth $100,000 a year. I think out of those guys who are worth it, probably an eighth of them are actually making that much money. The other ones are working as hard as they can to try to get to that figure. They may or may not. The accountants that work for their particular shop or dealership are gonna to try to figure out a way to stymie you from making more money. Uh, in their opinion, uh, mechanics should make no more than $50,000 a year and maybe even less than that probably. I mean, what are they, they just they just fix cars for Christ's sakes. It's not that hard, you know, it's, it's something that an accountant would say, you know? So am I wrong about that? I was wrong. Okay, there are people making that much money. Was I completely wrong? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that all of you out there, if you put in your time and your energy and your skill and your experience, that you should make $100,000 a year 
if you have all of that now. If you're getting there, that should be the goal. That should be the, t- the summit for you. You should be able to make that much money if you've expended the time and the energy to, to learn, to earn, to get to that point. I think that that should not be an anomaly. I think that you should be able to get there. The cars have gotten excruciatingly difficult to fix, especially since 1980 when engine computers started showing up in cars. And uh, it's not something that you can just pay somebody 10 bucks an hour to do anymore. Okay, I don't think I was wrong. Now, there's other things that I was wrong about, and uh, I'm only wrong in specific cases uh, when it comes to this anyway. Uh, Like I said, a lot of it's my opinion, and I think that it's wrong for you to listen to this and take my opinion and say, oh, yeah, that's the way it is. No, that probably isn't always the way it is. Now, I, I I like to take service managers to task because I've had so many god-awful ones. And I've got one right now who's okay. I don't want to run him down because I'm obviously still working for him. But uh, he's, got some, uh, he's got some stuff he needs to do better. And uh, I think that he will make an effort to get better at it. You know, if he can, because when he first showed up, he was pretty smug about being able to do the job. And after a little while, the job kicked him right in the balls and said, yeah, you don't know shit. And uh, I think he's adapting. And I think that happens to a lot of managers. They roll in with this enormous ego and a big head, and they feel like they're just gonna be able to to tell everybody how to do everything they need them to have done, and it's gonna get done the way he wants it to, or she, and uh, that everything's gonna be hunky-dory and it's gonna run smooth. And then they find that when the place starts to fall apart and employees start to leave and things go to shit, and, it, and things go to hell in a handbasket that maybe they weren't as smart as they thought they were and they have to readjust their attitude. And so for me to say to you that all service managers are lazy and stupid and ignorant and need to be fired or shot or both, uh, that's not right. That's wrong. That's wrong. And I've had some good ones who had a firm grasp on what needs to happen, what can happen, what shouldn't happen, and what does happen. And they're all four of those things are different things. And you need to consider each and every single one of them every single day when you deal with the people, your advisors, your technicians, your lot people, your upper management, and then your customers. So has any, any of them out there got a really good handle on it? Well, I hope that more do than don't. And I hope that more do than I think do. And I hope that I'm wrong. This is one of the things I hope I'm wrong. I hope that you have a service manager who has everyone's best interests at heart, who fills in for his service advisors when they're ill or sick or need to not be there or can't do the job for some reason or another. I hope that he comes out and he is, you know, even handed with all of the technicians and he knows how to motivate them and get the best out of them and he good with customers but the chances that you're going to find somebody who is all three of those things are not really very good and I think that one of the more important things that a service manager needs to do is they need to keep their ego in check because I'll tell you right now a lot of shops I've worked in run way fucking smoother when the service manager is not there and that's a harsh reality for a service manager Okay, are they all bad? No, I was wrong to say that they're all bad. If I implied that they were all bad, I was wrong. Same with service advisors. Now, I, I, you know, I, I'm like you. I fucking hate it when they don't sell the specific job I wish they would. I hate it when they sell a specific job that I wish they wouldn't sell. I hate that. 
They always seem to sell the shit you don't want to do, and they don't sell the shit you do want to do. And do I think that all service advisors are pieces of shit? No, I do not. And if I have implied at any point in time that all service advisors are pieces of shit, that was wrong, okay? And now what you have to do is if you get a new one or if you get hired in a place where they have some in place already or you just come in contact with different service advisors, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. And here's why. And this is not wrong. They have to deal with the customers. And oh my God, if you had to deal with the customers, and some of you do, you know what I'm talking about. At any given time, the customers can be the worst motherfuckers on the planet. Just assholes. Selfish, ignorant, stupid, every adjective you can think of to describe a human being who is a piece of garbage. And then the very next customer could be the sweetest, kindest, friendliest human being who's smart and nice and knows what needs to happen. They can be a, a complete 180 degree opposites from each other. And you have to deal with both of them. And you wish you had more of one and less of the other. And the problem is, is that you're going to have more of the ones you wish you had less than and you're gonna have less than the ones you wish you had more of. If that makes any sense to you, uh, let me know. <laughs> it didn't make any sense coming out of my mouth and I think I'm wrong. But when you're, you have to, you ha if, I, if I said that all service advisors are lazy, ignorant jackasses who just wanna phone it in every day, I was wrong. Some of them work extremely hard and if they have to answer phones, then uh, God bless them because you know, getting shit from a ignorant piece of shit customer in person is only slightly worse, only slightly worse than getting shit from an ignorant piece of shit customer over the phone, which explains completely why the phones typically don't get answered. Because a lot of times it's a fucking ignorant piece of shit customer complaining or yelling about some shit that they probably shouldn't. If I suggested to you that any of the people you work with are worthless, stupid, ignorant, in any case, I was wrong because I shouldn't build up to you that sort of uh, a stigma about people. Uh, when you deal with parts guys, uh, because of my experience for many years as a parts guy, uh, the retail end of it at like your auto zones and that, and also in dealerships, uh, you should definitely, definitely not take shit out on them, okay? Now, when it comes to talking to you about parts guys and the, the, the personnel that work in your parts department, you need to be as kind and as friendly and as helpful as you can possibly be, okay? And that's not wrong, boys and girls, because these guys can, if they decide they want to, if they, you know, get it in their head that they want to do this, they can fuck you right in the ass. They can fuck your life up. All they got to do is hand you a part with one digit off in the part number, and you are going to waste anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour trying to install a part that's wrong for the car you're working on. Oh, I meant to give you a 697 instead of a 698. Oh, I'm sorry. Thanks for giving me shit the last time I talked to you, fucking jackass. Listen, you know, all these people, a service manager and a service advisor and a parts man can make your life difficult. But I think for sheer potential, that a parts man could really fuck your life over. So what you should probably do, and this is not wrong, this is, this is something that 
that your Uncle Jimmy has been has absolutely 100% personal experience with. You should try to be as helpful as you possibly can. You should try to be as friendly as you possibly can. And you should try to see things from their point of view, okay? If you're trying to get a part from a parts guy and you don't know what it is, you don't know what it's called, you don't have the part number for it, you don't even know where it goes, how the fuck are they supposed to find that part for you? Boys and girls, if you're technicians, figure out what you need. Figure out what it's called. Maybe find a number on it. Maybe pull it out and show it to the parts guy. Is that that difficult? In some cases, yes. It's not doable. I get it. You know, am I going to take a, a fucking long block out of a car and show it to the parts guy so he can order me exactly what I got? No, I don't need to do that. Jesus Christ. But like control modules, Mingy, if you're working on some of these cars, boys and girls, and they have six control modules all stuffed into a control module carrier in the back of a car or something, and you need just one of them, and all it's being held in is by a little plastic clip, and it's got wires going to it with a connector that you can disconnect. Take it fucking thing out and show it to the parts guy. That's not wrong. I'm not going to get you the wrong part. If you show me the old one and it has a number on it, I'm not going to get you the wrong part. When I was a parts man, okay, now I'm wrong a lot now. I will say this out loud to you and say it loud and proud too. I don't give a fuck. I say things that are wrong. I do things that are wrong. I just do them. Try to be right, but you know, don't make it though, okay? But if you're going to be a parts, if you're going to deal with a parts guy, and I was a parts guy, I tried to be right all the time. Because when I'm wrong, it fucks everybody up, myself included. So I don't, I don't go out of the way to be, I go out of my way to be right. I, I will do whatever I need to do to be right, to be correct, to do the right, to get the right parts, okay? Whether I'm on the technician side of the counter or on the parts guy side of the counter. You need a part. I, I can still remember being a GM parts manager and needing to order some parts, some internal parts for a transmission on a car and printing off an exact copy of the blow up for the transmission and going over to the technician and circling every single fucking part that he needed to fix that tranny. You know, the sun shell, this clutch set, that clutch set, maybe a set of steels, maybe a, a couple of sprags or whatever they're called nowadays, one-way clutches, overrunning clutches, maybe a bushing here and there, whatever it was. I said, you need this? Yes, I need that, I need that, I need that, I need that. We made a complete list of everything he needed. He looked it over twice. He said, I need all that stuff. Boom, ordered it all. It all came in. He fixed the car. There were no problems. Your Uncle Jimmy, for a fucking change, wasn't wrong, okay? And got the job done, and everybody was happy. Everybody was happy. I took the time to do it. So what I'm saying to you is don't be wrong because it's easy, okay? Because your Uncle Jimmy does that. That's, that's wrong. Take the extra time to be right. Take the extra time to help the other people that work with you to be right. Now, some of the other opinions that I have are, are wrong. Sometimes I find people that I work with, I wish were better at what they do than they are. And unfortunately, I'm wrong. And they can't do what you want them to do. Uh, and sometimes I'm wrong when I'm diagnosing a car. I can't really get away from that. You and I know as technicians that you'll get a car every once in a while. I get about one or two a year where you go in and you do all you do all of the diagnosis that you need to do to determine what the problem is with this car. That the, the concern that this customer is having is caused by blank. 
and you do everything you can in your power with the equipment that you have and the tools that you have and the knowledge and the experience that you have. You do everything you can to figure out what's wrong with that car and it still eludes you after two, three, four, five hours, maybe even a couple of days. I got one of those going on right now. This is a situation where I hate being wrong because it costs me time and energy and it costs the customer money. And if I'm wrong, it makes me look like a fucking moron. And I don't need any help in that department, boys and girls. I have right now a car that just, it runs like crap in the morning and it starts all goofy as if the timing's off. So I go through and I check everything I can. It runs absolutely straight up fabulous when it's warm. Fabulous. Purrs like a kitten. So I go through and I check fuel, fuel pressure, timing. I pulled the bell cover off and checked the timing. The timing was dead nuts on. I thought the timing was off. I checked all of the valve train components. Everything looked good. Everything seemed to be working. Uh, checked. Uh, I did not check the uh, leak down and compression because the car actually runs really, really well when it's running. I checked camshaft sensors and crankshaft sensors, and and uh, I had a single solitary fault for an engine control module internal checksum fault, they call it. And at the end of all of the diagnosis that I made, I recommended the engine computer. Okay, it's not cheap. It's easy to install. That's about the only thing it has going for it. I have to program it. I have to code it. I have to align the uh, ignition uh, to get it to start. I have to clear all the adaptions. I'm not sure if that's going to fix the car. And that's one of the situations I get into. And I know all of you do that where the problem is not obvious and the repair is not obvious. And sometimes you're wrong. I'm wrong a lot. I hope I'm not wrong this time but I don't also get paralyzed with fear that I'm wrong. I do a pretty good job, even though I put myself down and belittle myself and I'm self-deprecating, I do a pretty good job. The only thing that I'm wrong about is this podcast when I talk to you about it. Some of the shit I say is wrong. So uh, look, one of the last things I wanna add about being wrong is that sometimes customers are not wrong. It's gonna be the last thing I wanna say about this. I have seen customers complain about things that actually I felt were physically impossible for a car to do. Uh, Early on in my career, I would get complaints about shit and they would be like, oh, my car did this. And I would be like, what? What the fuck are you even talking about? And then they explain to you and they describe to you in more detail what happened. And you're like, that can't even happen. And then they go, let's go for a ride. And then whatever it is, this has happened to me probably maybe a dozen times in the 16 years that I've been doing this as a technician. Somebody will explain to me or show me something that a car is doing that I never thought it could do. And uh, I don't have a specific example to give you, but I know it's happened and I remember it happening. And then you go back and you find that something was, you know, some particular system was installed incorrectly or got damaged or was hooked up wrong and it caused this particular thing to happen and you had never seen it before and a lot of times you'll never see it again maybe maybe later on you do see it again and somebody else is just as puzzled as you were and you go oh yeah here's what you got to do and then they look at you because 
if you're me, they go, well, you're always wrong. I go, well, not this time. So, but it happens. Okay. So my, I guess what I'm trying to say to you is don't assume that everyone else is wrong, no matter how outrageous it sounds, especially with customers, because customers tell me things all the time that normally a normal person would look at them cross-eyed and say, well, that ain't right. That's wrong. And, but you know what? The first time you do that, they'll prove to you that they are in fact right and that you as the technician are wrong, okay? So it would be wrong, <laughs> it would be wrong of me to continue to go on any farther. Just uh, keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, it's very easy to be wrong and it sucks. So try not to be wrong and it's wrong for me to go on any farther than this and try to tell you how not to be wrong when I'm just wrong about everything anyway. So to get out of here, I'm just going to say that this is your Uncle Jimmy encouraging you not to be wrong like me. And I'm going to go and I'm going to sign off. And the way I sign off usually is by saying, see ya.